0: Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Bottom Line. It's me, Jonna, of course, and today we will be talking about race. Um, A lot of you may know or may not know, but I started this podcast and I got the idea really um, after George Floyd was murdered and there were a lot of fruitful conversations um, that I was having with classmates, with teachers, um, with my peers. People were reaching out to me and asking, Jonna, what can I do to help Um, How are you doing, Jana? in this time of turmoil, of uh, social unrest? Um, How do you feel? How can I be um, a better ally? And so I thought that was a unique um, time period. It seemed that a lot of my peers were having a racial reckoning. They were having an awakening and uh, understanding what was really happening in our society and what they could do. Um, But I would say one thing that kind of... um, i felt maybe afraid of is that this would be a trend and so a lot of people were posting on social media and blah 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 so that's why i started the podcast because i wanted to continue those conversations but this conversation is specifically about um last summer and kind of how we all had a chance to really reckon with this so anyways i'm joined uh with lily guys um here today Lily is um, a rising senior at my school. We're in the same grade at um, Peyton. And um, I know Lily from freshman year geometry class. In that class, uh, we did geometry and math, but we did a lot about, we talked so much about politics and current events and what was happening. And so it was a great time, Um, but I know Lily was just always very outspoken and like, very into politics, I knew that, and then, of course, we did debate together, and so I know Lily from there, so, um, you're in debate camp, and that was an interesting experience, yeah, so you're doing it at, uh, UMICH, University of Michigan, Mm -hmm. so, yeah, like, how's that been what's the topic what's going on with debate
1: so the topic this year is like water resources which is kind of an interesting topic because there's it's, it's a domestic topic which are always like i find be more interesting just because they're kind of more like contained um but it's there's a lot of like really interesting aspects of water resources and like the protection of water in the united states that are not really discussed so like everything from like corn ethanol production which leads to like fertilizer runoff which creates like dead zones and like the oceans um to things like you know like failing water infrastructure in the south that's led to water scarcity and like uh obviously like impacted like you know even like communities of color more than anyone else um and so there's just this like a really wide range of like it, it kind of like spirals like it's it, it's constantly impacting other parts of policy. So it's, like, really interesting to see those interactions because they're not really discussed.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, um, well, I want, I'm want i interested. How many weeks have you been doing debate camp? This is my sixth week. So, like, this, like... What? Wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so this week and then next week is my last week.
0: Wow, that's crazy. Oh, so you... I know that y'all started um, debate camp, like, in maybe, like, the last or second to last week of school, but... Mm-hmm. That's like, I didn't realize that, like, you're almost done. So, okay, what AF are you running?
1: I'm running RFS right now. So it's a renewable fuel standard AF. So it talks about how, so, like, that's kind of what I mentioned before with, like, corn ethanol. Um, So the idea is that there's a renewable fuel standard right now that basically mandates that a certain percent of our, like, of fuel that you use for, like, your car be biofueled. But most bio like biofuel and like how we understand it like under the fuel standard is corn ethanol fuel, which is not good for the environment mm-hmm. and like not as good as it could be. So the idea of like the RFSF is that instead of having um, like a renewable fuel standard, it should be switched for a LCFS which is a low carbon fuel standard um, which means that it takes into account all of the emissions and like all of the impacts that fuel production like biofuel can have. And so instead of like, Corn ethanol fuel, things like algae and like other forms of biofuel that are more like that are genuinely renewable and that are not um as harmful. So that's a good piece of the F.
0: Okay, interesting. Um, yeah. so, well, I'm really interested. This might be nerd speech for some of the people that are listening, <laughs> but it's interesting to me. um And yeah, I've talked about debate on my podcast and like my relationship to debate. So. Yeah, kind of interesting. I haven't really been engaged in the topic, so I don't really know what's going on. So it's cool to hear like um, what you're up to as far yeah. as debate. For so sure. yeah, I'm glad that uh, it's going well, and and it's all been virtual this year. So it has.
1: It's, it's a bummer. It's virtual. Like it's a very sad. I miss like seeing everyone in person.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like that was one thing I never got to experience the in-person debate um, camp. Yeah, it's so.
1: It's so sad.
0: Yeah. So, well, thanks for talking about that. um, Of course, and like (laughs) telling us about water resources and stuff like that. So of course, of course. Yeah. Um. I think that. Well, kind of shifting the conversation. Like I said at the beginning, um, we're talking about race. Uh, just to be clear for everyone that's listening. I am one black girl. Lily is one white girl. So our perspectives aren't for every person in the black or the white community. So we can't speak for everyone. Um, We recognize that our perspectives are limited in many ways um, because of who we are, where we've grown up, um, who we have interacted with. But it's important to um, understand our perspectives and maybe how it can they relate And how they might differ. And so just to make that clear for everyone, we are not speaking for everyone. Um, And these are just our opinions and our perspectives. So I just want to make that clear because race can be a very um, touchy and difficult conversation and subject. Um, So I guess first to kind of start off the conversation, um, I want to talk about implicit bias and kind of casual racism. I think in many ways, um, I don't think I've experienced outright racism, but I think that maybe in a lot of ways it's been casual, um, microaggressions versus macro, um, and I feel that those are forms of racism that can be difficult for people to acknowledge that they have. Everyone has them, but I think it can be difficult for people to acknowledge, and so I guess like, um... my first question is like how do you go about interrogating your own subconscious unconscious racism or bias towards other groups of people
1: right so i think that in a lot of ways there's been like a lot of re-educating that i've had to do um just like within my own mind and like within my own self simply because the like the school system is like racist the way that we are taught things are like inherently racist like the way that like society teaches us to understand the world is racist whether that's through media through institutions like school through like even like your parents right like all of those things like those are how you're taught those like implicit biases and so obviously like I'm not perfect and like I very much recognize that um and I I try like my best to kind of step back from like situations and kind of if, if something, if I have, like, a, you know, even if it's, like, a thought, like, if there's something and I'm, like, well, why did I think that? Like, that doesn't make right. sense. Like, it, like logically, I know that that's not true, right? Like, it, it I have to take a second and, like, take a step back and think about why I've come to understand that in the way that I just had that, like, thought. Which I know that's not, like, that's so vague, but I feel like a pretty, like, good example of this is, like, when we're talking about, like, police, like, in many different contexts, so, like, if you're talking about police in the context of, obviously, like, a horrible incident, like, George Floyd, there's usually, like, a lot of, you know, like, just, like, like, blatant support for, like, George Floyd, at least, like, in the circles that I'm in, right? And, like, kind of, there's, like, that condemnation of the police officer who killed him. Um, but then it's, like, if you're talking about police in a broader context, and like, a structural context, and people are so quick to, like, defend police officers, like, without knowing the situation, without knowing the details... Um, in a more, like, structural way, that's kind of where it takes me a second to, like, have to step back, right? Because there's that, like, there's that specific instance of racism, and then there are the structural issues. And so people will are so quick to condemn the specific instance without looking at the structural issues. And so I find myself, like, very often, like, if you see these, like, repeated events, or even if you just see, like one isolated instance it's like what system what type of system fostered the environment for that to happen and so it's like that's created like a lot of me interrogating like my own processes of thinking because like why would I defend a system that allows and that fosters that type of violence right and like that can be applied like from anything everything from like you know like Police officers, obviously, but even like the medical system, where it's like if someone like dies or like a person of color dies because they couldn't get medical treatment, it's like why is it like oh that's like a shame that like the healthcare system like failed them or something, right? But then it's like the broader system of healthcare like puts people of color at a systemic disadvantage. So it's just kind of like taking that those like isolated incidences and then like it's taking a step back and like trying to understand how you can justify the system but still condemn that instance i know that's kind of all over the place but that's what i try to do
0: no that makes a lot of sense and i think that is true like people easily can isolate one moment this is one bad cop versus this is a part of a structural system that has been used to keep uh people of color locked down and uh, criminalized etc and so go ahead
1: I was going to say, like, the war on drugs, I feel like, is an even bigger example of this, because, like, we are explicitly taught that, like, drugs are bad and that people who do drugs are bad people and that, like, people who sell drugs are bad people and all of those things. And so if you're going into situations where you understand communities to have, like, drug problems and drug epidemics there's so much blame post, like, placed on that person, on the individual, as being, like, a bad person, how that's, like, morally representative of who they are. And there's not enough talk about, like, the systems of, like, poverty and exploitation and, like, brutalization and over-policing that created those environments and created the um, conditions for that to be a survival mechanism. Exactly. Right? So it's So it's just as, like... And especially, like, with, like, drugs and, like, drug addicts and, like, those types of things, like, taking a step back and, like, maybe, like, taking that, like, stigma almost away and, like, that, like, how we're socialized to view them and understanding it as, like, systemic problems, especially in, like, like majority, like, POC communities.
0: Right. And I think um, what you're also talking about is narratives and kind of Mm -hmm. the narratives that we are told that we internalize about other people that we may or may not know. And so I think... um, to your point, this is something that is probably distant for you. Like, you don't live in a community where people are drug addicts, or where you don't live in a community where people are over-policed. And so, it's easy to maybe look at one instance in isolation, but not understand the structural instance, because this is not a reality for you. And so divorcing like your reality versus someone else's can be very different because you cannot understand that
1: and also just like with like interactions with institutions so like I personally had never had a a negative or like a, a, a very overwhelmingly negative interaction with a police officer until I was at a BLM protest in the summer of like 2020 right like I had never had a cop like threaten me with like violence before until I was there and so, for me, it was, like, it was, like, kind of shocking. But it also put things into, like, perspective that, like, I'm out here and it's, like, obviously, like, the, the, the protesters, like, the people who are leading this, the organizers, are, like, you know, black. Like, most of the protesters here are, like, black. And so it was just, like, it, it really showed me, like, that the interactions are so conditional and like the mood and like the type of 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 like the even like the benefit of the doubt that you're gonna get is so conditional on like who you are what you look like and where you come from right so it to me just like showed how it to me it's 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 hard to hear people I mean this might be like getting into like some like for stuff we're gonna talk about later, but like when we're up, like allyship to me, right, is like when I'm having like conversations, especially in the summer of twenty twenty, like with like my friends and like my friend's parents and like you know, like just like adults in like my neighborhood and whatever, and like the their like instinctual like solution to the problem is like, oh well, we just like need like more like police officers there. Like, you know, like we need like if there are more police officers then crime wouldn't happen there. But like if you're looking at it like the war on drugs, for example, right? Like, white people and black people use, like, marijuana at the same rates, but black people are incarcerated, like, I think it's something like two times as much, maybe, like, three times as much, um, as white people are, simply because of, like, over-policing. Like, if white neighborhoods were policed as much as black neighborhoods were, then cops would would find as much crime. So it's, it's like, this, like, s- cyclical problem that when people who don't have negative experience with the cops think that like cops and like the system can be the the solution to that problem it just shows like the disconnect from that narrative because they just don't know like they can't empathize with that and so for me i've had like a lot of like really frustrating conversations because people are so i don't want to say self-involved but their narrative is so internal that they cannot fathom another person experiencing the same institution in such a dramatically different way. So it's really hard to, like, bridge that, like, mental gap of understanding. And it's almost hard to do it, like, until you see it. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I saw it. Like, I saw the way that, like, cops treated me. Even, like, if I was, like, still, like, you know, like, I had cops, like, get, like, batons out and, like, kind of, like, hold them, like, very threateningly, right? But then, like, that in comparison to, like, verbally like attacking and abusing and like calling the black protesters names right right so like there's like that distinction so like yeah like that was a negative experience I had that I hadn't experienced before but then like that compared to like what I saw happening at those protests was nothing in comparison
0: right yeah that's really good um I think that one thing you said was empathy like it's so difficult to divorce how you experience an institution versus how someone else could. And I think what um, is, I think also when we think about the U.S. history and how it's kind of, I mean, it relates. I'm kind of shifting what I'm talking about, but it relates. Yeah. We think about slavery and how black people, Africans, were are humans, but in the past they were humans, but the way that you can enslave someone is to strip them of their humanity. And that means the most basic level, you have no empathy for another human being. Um, And that's how you can kind of allow these things to happen. You can allow systems to oppress, to enslave entire groups because you have and empathy is about shared humanity. And so there's no humanity. And so your point about being self-absorbed really is about I'm maybe devaluing devaluing oh my gosh devaluing you and your humanity or not at least not trying to and so i guess a question that i'll pose is what you're doing is very um humane it's very self-aware of trying to step back that's not easy for people to do i think i've yeah. seen in a lot of instances people can or what the other thing they'll do is recognize the system how it's racist, but not recognize how they might be complicit in the system. How can we get people to do what you're doing um, if we can? Like, do you think that we can get people to look within themselves and recognize parts of the system in them?
1: So this is something that I had a lot of conversations with my parents about. So like just like some like background, like both of my parents are first generation college students. So, like, none of my family is, like, very educated other than, like, my parents. Um, and, like, both my mom and my dad grew up in, like... My dad grew up in, like, Detroit. My mom grew up in a really small town, Oregon. And so, like, they don't come from, like, these, you know, like, very... They don't come from, like, super well-off backgrounds. Um, so when we're having these conversations about, like, race and stuff, I found that my, like, parents at first were almost, like, apprehensive because when you're talking about things like white privilege... It it so I'm I'm not saying this like as a generalization. I don't think everyone experiences this way, but I think that for some people, it can feel like a personal attack. Like it can feel like it doesn't feel quite like, oh, we're just like you know like it, this is a systemic thing. It feels like you no, know, like your life wasn't as hard as right. as it was. So I think that there's a very weird like perception that in order for white privilege to be real, it means that white people can't have struggles. Right. Which to me, I think, is, like, an absurd idea because, like, obviously, like, this is a very like, common concept of privilege, but privilege isn't that your life was somehow made easier, but it's just that, like, like white privilege, it, it just means that your identity and your, your race didn't make your life harder. Right? Like, my parents did not mm. have a harder time getting into college because they were white. They, you know, didn't come from they didn't have, like, difficulties because they were white. They had difficulties for other reasons, but that doesn't relate to their race. So I think that for them and, and for, like, a lot of people, it's, it almost feels it feels so personal when right. you talk about white privilege because it's like, no, look, I, that, like, I wasn't privileged. And it's not saying that you were privileged. It's not saying all white people come from, like, these, you know, from really well-off backgrounds, but it's just saying that, it, that their background doesn't make their life harder right? Or, like, their, their racial background doesn't make their life harder, I should say. Um, so, I think that there's a... Uh, me, personally, I try to, like, understand my privilege as, like, coming from, like, where I come from, because I do come from a well-off background. Like, both my parents, you know, like, are college-educated. Um, and, and, like, I, you know, like I, I live in, like, Chicago. I live on the north side. Like, the background that I come from I feel like I have to understand that in order to understand that like experiences can be different and like acknowledge that so it's a weird mix of taking a step back while also like acknowledging that like you can personally have benefited from a system and still not be a bad person Mm -hmm. like I know that I've benefited from systems of white supremacy in the society because almost every white person has right right like there's like my you know if anything from like financial issues to like getting a job all of those things where it's like if you have like a name that's like considered to be like a like African American name or like a black name
0: right?
1: that's like harder to get a job on like a job resume right um, like when I speak out and like when I like do like activism within my own school even uh, if someone who was black or like was doing the same thing, like there would be that stereotype of like the angry black woman, right? Right. So like understanding where I come from and my privilege helps me understand like how to use it to my advantage, but also to work around it and to like to still be like to not, to be self aware of it because like I understand that it's not something that I explicitly am like okay with and like complicit in. But that's just the system that I exist in. And there's not a lot that I can do to change it other than acknowledge it. So, like, acknowledging it doesn't mean that, like, all of my accomplishments are, are worth anything. It doesn't mean, like, any of those things. But it just means that, like, I have an understanding of the system that I exist in. And I don't, like, I feel a personal obligation in the sense that I feel a personal obligation to, like, change that. But I don't feel personal guilt for existing within that system because i didn't ask to exist within that system the same way that like no one asked to exist in the side that we live in right so So it's like separating that guilt
0: (laughs) no so good and there's so much you said that like there's to unpack um and so right well you answered the question about white guilt and i feel that Um, There's kind of like multiple ways that I've seen white people handle uh, their white privilege or come to understand it. That might be they feel guilty that they have it and act out of their guilt. So like, which I don't really think is ever a good thing. I think that whenever you act from a place of guilt, um, you're not the intention is not really to be ultimately helpful to the community is to absolve your your feelings about how you've been positively influenced by the system and so I think that the fact that you're saying you don't deal with that is probably um, a good thing I don't know if I want to live in a world where I want white people to feel guilty I would say that I want people to live in a world where they understand how they have been influenced by it and how their ancestors have were a part of this but won't work from a place of I'm going to right wrongs versus I'm going to try to suppress my feelings of guilt I think go ahead I like I just I don't think like I
1: feel like guilt is so it guilt like plays to that same narrative of being very like self like like that that, like internal narrative that we were talking about earlier and kind of like how like you experience the world and like feeling guilty that other people don't experience the world the way that you do but that just like genuinely that that isn't like a fair burden to place on yourself Mm -hmm. right because like that that's not something that you have a lot of control over so like I don't do things like out of like guilt and I also don't do things out of pity because I feel like that's really like patronizing and condescending and like I don't think that I'm better than anybody, right? Right. So it's, like, when I do those things, it's because, like, I go on, like, like activism and all those things. It's because, like, A, like, I, I like, fundamentally just think that people should be treated with, like, basic human dignity and, like, respect and, like, be given those human rights. Um, And then, B, it's, like, I don't think that... I don't think that it's fair to, like be so hands-off if you understand that because once you understand that system and if you choose not to do things to dismantle it when you're given those opportunities I I think that that's problematic right I think that the understanding the system comes first and being conscious of it comes first and then from then on as long as you, like, acknowledge that you're, ben- like, you're going to benefit off of privilege and there's not a lot that you can do, like, I can't just be like, okay, well, I'm not going to benefit off of systems of white supremacy anymore, right? Like, that's not something that I really have control over because, like, ultimately, if I get pulled over by the cops, my life's probably not in danger. Right. Right? So it just is kind of, like, acknowledging that and understanding that and understanding that there's not something that I can personally do that will, like, you know free me from, like, all white supremacy, and that's kind of just, like, how I exist, like, I feel like just feeling, like, bad about it isn't helpful. Yeah. Like, black people don't want you to be, like, I I feel so bad that we live in this society. Like, okay, like, that's not, that doesn't mean anything. Exactly. Right? Like, your guilt isn't helpful. It's not producing anything. It's not, like, it's not Liberating. It's just like you're just you. That's still just being complacent and like just sitting and feeling bad about something. Exactly that you have no control over ultimately. So like why feel bad about it when that just is like that's just how things are until things change.
0: Yeah, you're right because I feel that I feel I feel that white guilt is in many ways the same as white tears, and so it's Mm -hmm. like ultimately I don't care. It, like you said, it's not productive, it's complacent um and it's and it's almost like okay, you feel bad about the system. you should like we all should be wait, wait. not okay with how the system works against me or people like me, and I think um what you said was really good about using your privilege as an ally and using it as a tool um I think I realized this. And I realize this freshman year that uh, in Congress or in administration at some place as local as our school, Mm -hmm. um, your voice, meaning as a white woman, as a white person, your voice carries a lot of weight. And so that doesn't mean that my voice is unimportant or that I should not go and speak my mind or be vocal. I think that means that your voice should be used as a tool because people will listen to you and so when I think about historically abolition slaves would not or enslaved people would not have been free if they just were revolting right they they all the only way that they could have uh been free is with the help of the white abolitionists because ultimately they were the people in society that had the power and the place in congress and things like that so I think that a question of allyship is don't think that to be an ally you have to be guilty or you have to have pity on your friends of color, but kind of use your privilege as a tool to uh, work or, I don't know, deconstruct the system. And um, so I think that... Like, I think that my question to you is like when something like this, like... um a major catastrophe like George Floyd's murder or just something as local as you see someone in your community um being harmed by someone else like what do you do um as a white person i felt that a lot of white people came and asked me what should i do and i feel that why is that a question that i have to answer for you absolutely so i don't i'm i already have enough on my plate you know <laughs> as far as dealing with racism so like how would you use your privilege or just in general what do you do when things like this happen
1: so first of all like google is a really great tool like i i don't feel that it's a fair burden to place on like my black friends to like go and ask them a question every time i like want to learn more about like a racial inequality because like i think that that does two things first of all like that can genuinely magnify harm If you have to, like, explain yourself and feel like you almost have to justify your own oppression to someone who comes from a point of privilege, like, in comparison. Um, And secondly, like, I actively seek information so that my Black and, like, people of color friends don't have to tell, right? I, like, I, I feel like I'm a, like, I... I'm so I'm self-sufficient, right? Like I can look for information, like I can like figure things out, like I can learn about concepts if I if I choose to and when I choose to. And so I, and I feel like everyone has that power. And so I feel like when you have like the internet at your disposal, when you have like this like vast, you know, resource at your disposal, I, I don't think that it's fair to ask individual black people in your life, especially as a white person. So I personally, like, essentially, like, we have to target, like, George Floyd and, like, taking action and stuff. Like, I, you know, like, I got online and I, like, like, even, like, looked through things like Facebook and, like, organizing groups. And I followed social medias and I, like, just showed up at events, right? Like, I showed up where I was asked after they were planned. I, I, I did what I was told. I, you know, I had, at some point, like, I was going to, like, I was going to protest, like, literally almost every day, every, like, few days even. Um, that some of the organizers, like started to like kind of like get to know me and like recognize my face. And so they would like specifically like send me information to like post places and things like that, and like spread the word. Um, but that was like never something that I like asked. Like I was I never I never wanted to create extra work for these people, right? because ultimately that's just not my place, like I'm here to help, I'm here to help with like a movement I'm not here to put more burden and to give assignments to, to people who are just trying to make change Right. Um, I just want to be like a part of that change and like help where I can, so I think that like instead of kind of asking, you know, your black friends to like explain concepts to you and to, to talk to you about those things, those are moments where you should be educating yourself so that you have a more holistic understanding of history so you have a more holistic understanding of current events because history informs so much of our present so that you have a holistic understanding of the way that institutions interact with social movements the way that institutions interact with racism and it just its that's not something that should be placed on the person on, on a singular black person in your life ever that's something that, that needs to be done by yourself that you need to educate yourself on so that when you're coming to these sessions, like that you can be a productive and impactful part of that and that you're not taking time and energy and resources away, but rather that you're just there for support.
0: Exactly. That's good. And so um, a lot of people, you name things that can be done so people would... Um, say like what could i do well lily said Mm -hmm. use the internet so Mm -hmm. i guess like what are specific things read books watch movies um go to a protest go ahead like
1: there's i so i love documentaries like i that's like one of like i literally am like obsessed with them like i consume so many documentaries just like daily and so i will like if i'm watching a documentary like on like prison or something like that like, I will make sure that I, like, after that, because a lot, especially if it's, like, a lot, like, if it's a documentary about, like, just, like, the criminal justice system kind of, like, from an objective perspective, like, those perspectives usually aren't critical, right? Those are just, like, this is what happens, this is the right. system, it's not, like, this is good or bad, and they're not really analysis, like, there doesn't be like, good analysis. So if you want to look at, like, things like um, the bail system in the United States and, like, the cash bail system, like... I watched a really great documentary about this. Like, even just on, like, on YouTube, like, you could literally just look up, like, American, like, prison prison um, bail system, right? And so, like, if you're looking at, like, contradictions between, like, the Eighth Amendment, which says that, like, bails cannot be, abs- like, like, fines and bails cannot be, like, absurdly high and also, like, cruel and unusual punishments, like the, like, that's, like, the amendment, right? If you're looking at that compared to the way that bail plays out in, like, our courts today, there's a huge discrepancy. And that's, like, not something that's very often talked about, but there are literally people who are going to jail because they are poor and they can't pay for bail. Right? And so it's like if you don't have that understanding and like you don't, and I think a lot of people probably do now, but like if you're someone who doesn't have that understanding of like why some jails are really overcrowded and like even just like holding facilities are like overcrowded and you like don't understand like the way that like cash bail or like the cash bail system works, then like watch that documentary or like read an article and like understand the implications of literally keeping people in prison because they are poor and cannot pay for to get out. They cannot pay for bail to like be released until their court date. Right? Like all like and, and those things have like heavy racial elements just because of like the structure of our economic system and the way that like black people are exploited under it. And and like discrepancies in like minimum wages and discrepancies in jobs and discrepancies and education levels and all those things, if you don't have a critical understanding of those things, when you ask a black person about that, it feel, you're putting them on the defensive because they have to defend why those discrepancies exist, which is right. not a fair situation to put them in at all because you should be educating yourself and understanding the underlying like problems that create those
0: discrepancies. And And I think that what you're saying is Um, also when you do those things I think that will also hopefully motivate you and get you thinking about how I can be an active how I can take an active role to combat these systems or to make sure that you aren't a part of those systems and being complicit in them Um, I think that when that's the first step of taking initiative so it's not because I feel that a lot of people believe that Um, deconstructing the system of white supremacy, Um, I think that people think that is a job for black people or for people of color. They think that I'm going to ask you what should I do because this is ultimately an issue that you face so it's up to you to fix it. How can the oppressed fix the system that was made by the oppressor? So um, you're turning that uh, on its head and so instead that makes the white person in this instance proactive because they're not pinning it back on me um or someone like me a person of color to be the most active person in combating the system of oppression um that's not the way that we should go about um being being a part of a movement and so I think what you're saying is good and I want to also talk about um, performative activism because I feel that uh, last year there was kind of a limbo that I was seeing on social media last summer there was a lot of posting about you know resources where you can get resources, infographics which are good and I don't have a problem with it but I felt that there was a limbo for white people so in some instances people were posting and it seemed performative to um, a lot of people that I spoke to other times people weren't posting at all and then people got angry like this is something that's that's happening in our society and you are completely not engaging in it and so I guess like where do you stand with the you post too much and you're being performative or you're not posting enough but also just the idea of being performative and how ultimately it's like not genuine and it like kind of waters down movements and takes away
1: so okay there's a lot of like facets to this the first one being um there were a lot of posts that came from white people that were very white savory and i mean that like there were people who would post things from other white people to say, like, oh, this is a really bad thing that's happening. Like, I'm identifying it, and so that is, like, like that's enough here, right? And I just had a huge problem with that because when we have these discussions about race, white people should not be at the forefront, like, objectively, mm-hmm. right? Like, when I say that we shouldn't, like, put this burden on, like, singular, singular, like, individuals in our lives to do that, I mean, like, you shouldn't go to your black friends and, like, ask them what you can do instead, if you're looking on social media... There are people who are, like, not only like, professional activists, but who have decided that that is their life's purpose. Right. And that they are going to engage in activism and education in a very widespread way. So, like, the big, like, Instagram account that's, like, so you want to talk about whatever. Like, those kind of drove me insane because they didn't give a lot of depth or, like, analysis or mm-hmm. just, like, overall, like, coverage of it. And so if you're looking at like posting things, first off, like make sure you're posting it from a person, from a person of color. Because ultimately white people should not be leading these discussions and shouldn't have a monopoly on like the space in which these discussions occur. So like if I'm going to be reposting like an infographic or like a a post or something like that, like I first off like always want to make sure that it's coming from um, a person who is experiencing that, um, because, like, or a person who's experiencing that, a person who, who's taking action to help that, um, because ultimately, like, that's who your best resource is going to be. Secondly, um, I don't think posting is, like, enough. I think that posting and, like, saying that, like, you're done, that's not enough. I think that, like, genuine interrogation of yourself and, like, and kind of, like, absorbing that information in a way that's really self-reflective is necessary. Um, I think that every time, like, I I try to do this, and again, like, I'm in no ways, like, a perfect example of this. I don't think that, like, anyone is. But when I, like, am reading about something or, like, an issue, I kind of try to, like, pick through my brain and, like, identify um, things that I've been, like, taught or, like, kind of, like, subconscious, like, feelings that I have. And kind of like pick through them. So, this is kind of like, we're talking like similar to the first question. Um, But I think that like if you read something and you're like, okay, yeah, cops killing black people is like bad, like I'm just gonna post my story, right? That's not as in depth and as like critical as you could be of yourself. And that's not gonna help break down a lot of these uh, subconscious teachings of like white supremacy. Um, And then the third thing, I guess, yeah, the third thing that I would say is. Like, there's a very fine line between posting things for education and posting things because everyone else is. So when I see something that's been posted, and I'm, like, looking through Instagram, uh, like, Snapchat or whatever, and it's the same story over and over and over and over again, I'm probably not going to repost that because I don't need brownie points. Like, I don't want someone right. to, like, see me and think, like, wow, like, you're such a good activist because you're reposting the same thing that, like, every single other person has posted on their feed right now, right? Because that is not, like, the point of those types of things. It's, like, you're trying to educate people who don't know and do it in an in-depth way, and I don't think that an infographic that everyone's posting is going to, A, have, like, the reach that you think it will, B, it's not going to have the effect that you think it will, because, like, I don't think that any of us are, like, huge, like, you know, influencers that have, like, such an impact on social media and post on our stories. Everyone's, like, clamoring to go see it Um, and I also think that like you have to really look at like if that post is doing more harm than good because this is something that um, I had seen a lot of and I actively like I'm probably I'm like very guilty of right is like reposting trauma porn so like if you are reposting videos of like black people being brutalized right as like a white person that can be so much more harmful than it can be good and that like and again like this like full disclosure like I was definitely guilty of this like in early 2020 right like with the odd armory shooting because like seeing that video it's like wow this is so terrible like people aren't understanding like how terrible this is but then like I had to like think about that statement it's like people aren't understanding how terrible this is no like I'm not understanding how terrible this is because mm-hmm. I'm not a black person and I don't see this Consistently, Like, I don't see this on the news, like, every time that a black person gets shot. Like, I don't see this in my own, happening in my own communities. So it's, like, who am I really, like, showing that to? Like, am I showing that so that, like, people are, like, understand how horrible it is? Or am I showing it because, like, I'm shocked about it and it doesn't have that same, like, depth of impact right. on me because I don't see it so often? So it's, it, it, to me, like, that is, like something that I always want to take into account is like if this post is doing more harm than good and if it's just like kind of like rubbing salt in like a wound and it's gonna you know upset and like re-traumatize like my POC friends and so I think that like those three things and I guess the fourth one just being like if you're gonna post something like make sure you a understand what you're posting b are like are going to take action to back it up And C, are not going to, like, turn around the next day and, like, I don't know, have a video of you saying, like, the N-word or something, right? Mm -hmm. Because, like, that, like, we saw that a lot. Right. Where people were not posting for genuine reasons. They didn't truly understand what they were posting, and they're posting just for, like, brownie points. Um, They're posting things that did more harm than good. And then, like, they turn around, and their actions did not, like, line up with the facade they had on social media because they didn't do that reflective like analysis and like really like be like introspective and look within themselves and look at how what they're posting applies to them
0: right lily you're such a debater you have point one (laughs) two three sub point abc um no that was really good very comprehensive very like you just broke it down that was very good um i think that you're right And so I think this also, like the other part of it is the not posting. So people were also really upset that people weren't posting. And I think that um, is something that I dealt with, not necessarily about posting, but about this general idea of silence. And when I see white people not speaking on an issue, I think that's something that I really had to learn to not get so upset about because last year um, if someone didn't speak about it I'd be like this is something that matters to me this is something that's happening in my community in our country and you have the nerve to disengage from this conversation Um, that made me angry but I learned that my anger about someone not speaking is ultimately unproductive it's not going to make them want to speak because I'm sitting here mad at my desk about you but how do like can you just speak about the ultimate danger of remaining silent and because I think in a lot of ways silence can be just as worse or worse than overt racism because it's an enabler like we're enabling people to and so that means in your community in your home um in a conversation at school and then when we expand this to a national level us like remaining silent is an enabler and that allows systems of oppression to continue so um just the perspective of not posting for example or in a classroom discussion being silent like can you just speak to that
1: yeah so okay i have i have like very mixed thoughts on this because in some level i think that posting just to post is really superficial so, like, if you're someone who, like, isn't posting because you maybe, like, haven't gathered enough information on something or haven't formed an opinion or whatever else, right. like, I think that that's perfectly fine. I think that as long as you put in that time to, like, understand that concept, then, like, I, I, like, that's, I think that's so justified, right? Right. Um, like, I don't think that you should feel like you have to post. Exactly. Just because everyone else is because I feel like that's really disingenuous
0: and that's also just as dangerous
1: exactly but then, then at the same time if you are not doing the like behind the scenes work of like educating yourself then I feel like that's also probably problematic and like choosing to actively ignore it because I think that when people are like posting on these infographics and like all those things like I always like will take a few days to like parse through the information and like read about it and like look at the situation and like a broader understanding before I like form an opinion on it um, because I feel like that's just like doing it justice without just being kind of like mindlessly taking what people are saying with like you know. Um that's not to say that like social media is not a good source but I just think that it's not it should not be social media should not be where it stops It should, mm-hmm. if it's where it starts that's so fine but like you should have those like look at those things more in depth outside of that um, and I think that, like, I don't think that, and again, I really don't think anyone has an obligation to post as long as they see that there's, a, a, like, a, a big problem or, like, a big, you know, kind of, like, you were talking like, a racial reckoning, right? Like, when you see that, you don't have to post about it, but if you're doing the work behind the scenes, that's more valuable, right? Because right. half the people are posting just to post. And so, like, if you're someone who, like, doesn't really want to post about it, but, like, you're going to, like, take the time to look into it, then you're doing you're you're having a more material and like a more concrete effect on the situation than the people who are just reposting infographics because you're trying to have a broader understanding of it where the people doing infographics are just posting to post. Um so I think as long as that work is being done, I think that like whether you post or not is ultimately it, like it, it doesn't have an effect. Like it just is it's kind of it's Exactly. You know, like it's a non issue. Yeah. I think we're having I just want to answer the question, like, the classroom discussions. Yeah. When we have classroom discussions, that's a that's a separate thing. Um, I think that there are two reasons people sit out in classroom discussions. The first being... Or maybe three. The first being, like, not wanting to monopolize space, right? The second being not having a, a coherent enough opinion or an informed enough opinion to make a comment. And the third being um, because... They, like, don't care. So I think that a lot of us assume it's the third without considering the other two, but I think that not speaking in discussions about race um, as, like, a white person and just kind of, like, listening and, like, taking it in, I think that that's productive because ultimately, like, we... Like, I know that we're having this conversation about race, but it's more about, like, allyship than it is about, like, what to do about these systemic issues. So... I don't think that it's like a white person's job or like place to talk about like how to solve this problem because we can support the solutions and like the consensus of those solutions but we shouldn't be like taking a leading role in like trying to like like this is gonna fix it and I know this is gonna fix it. I feel like just supporting the movement and the process is where we're most beneficial. So if you're taking a step back in discussions to just listen to what is being said, I think that that is beneficial because a you're not putting black people like on the defensive by asking them directly, but you're still listening to them and like gain, like and understanding their perspective and like actively trying to. So even if you don't contribute there, as long as you're actively trying to understand and to like listen and to engage in a way where you're just like taking in information, I think that that's productive. Um, I think that you know again as long as the discussion isn't where it stops and it's where you start to take in information and learn things but then you like also like look further into that issue um, I think that that's like perfectly fine I think that just kind of choosing to not talk because it's not like your job or like your place to have to know or understand these things I think that that's probably violent because it takes personal responsibility away And I know I talked about this before about how like we shouldn't feel like personally, like we're like, like responsible for systemic racism. But if you're given the opportunity to listen and to learn about a problem and you choose to sit out from it and to disengage and to not um, listen to what's being said or like, or hear what's being said, I think that that's problematic because you like, it. you just, you literally just have to listen and take it in and like, and think about it and like be and like incorporate that into your worldview so I think that that like that's where it gets problematic is where you're not listening because like it's not your problem or like you don't have to I think if you're not listening because if you're not you're not talking because you just don't feel like it's your place to contribute and you want to just hear what's being said I think that's so valid um but I just think as long as you're not just choosing to kind of be like oh well like it's not my problem i'm not racist and i know that without like actually thinking like maybe these things apply to and like maybe i this like i can use this to shape how i act in the long term
0: that's good i think your point about there's three reasons why people may dis or not speak in a conversation i think that's something i had to learn um yeah because i assume it was because you don't care and ultimately you don't know that. And if that's true, I can't do anything about someone not caring. Right. And right. so, like, which is what I just said about how me being angry ultimately is just as bad as them not caring because it's like we're both being unproductive and, right. and and how we feel about a situation, how we kind of uh, choose to act on that. I'm, I'm, I would say also, um, I feel that when in conversations maybe another reason people don't engage um is because of fear and maybe they fear being wrong um they fear being ignorant um they fear that they'll be labeled as racist or um as whatever whenever we have difficult conversations they'll be labeled and they don't want to be under fire they're afraid and i think that The point of the conversation is so that we can engage. And if you are wrong, hopefully what I would do is not attack you, but to give you to counsel you, right? To say, no, this is wrong. Think about this from my perspective. And so, and you said this a couple times, but like, it's not a white person's place to lead conversations. And I I kind of like want to better understand that because I think that white people should start conversations about race. I think that they should have conversations with their friends with um people of color because I think that when if you don't start a conversation um it's ultimately on everyone to be a part of it. So like sure. can you explain like what you mean and like um and and I know and I and I think I know what you mean by don't lead or dominate, but I feel that you should start conversations like I shouldn't have to start a conversation all the time so like can you explain that
1: yeah I think I should have been more specific with that I think that what I meant to say is like not speaking on behalf of black people so like when I say like we shouldn't be like dominating like if you're having like a like a, a in school right like a discussion about like like uh racism and like uh racial like inequalities and stuff like I don't think that like it's a white person's I don't think that it's a I don't think it's I think it's more condescending I guess if like a white person is like black people are you know experiencing all of these like terrible things and no one is doing anything about it like that just feels like white saviory to me um if that makes sense, and so, like, almost, like, speaking on behalf of Black people, like, speaking on behalf of their experiences is what I I should be, like, more clear about, like, not doing. Um, I think that, like, having conversations about, like, race with, like, your peers, like, with your friends, with your family, all those things, like, that to me is, makes, like, more sense as long as you're coming with that background of knowledge and, like, you're you're putting an effort and you're not putting the burden on that person to educate you, but you're, you're educating yourself and then engaging in those discussions because ultimately if you're not educating yourself, then you're not going to be leading or like having good discussions because you're not going to be making good points. You're not going to be um, like, you're not going to be teaching people the most productive things. So the, the most beneficial things. Um, But I really just mean like not speaking like on behalf of black people and on behalf of black people's oppression, because if it's something that you haven't experienced it and you're trying to speak for those experiences, that's not something that's like tangible to you. It's not something you can empathize with, right? It's not your narrative. And so I feel like that's what I mean is just like not trying to, to like kind of co-opt that narrative and like paint it as like something that you can understand because like I can't like, I, as a white person, like, I don't... I will never understand that narrative, and I can't understand it. And so, like, listening is the closest that I will get to understanding. And that's, like, the biggest motivator, right? Um, so it's just, again, it's not. It's just more of not speaking. I think that, like, engaging in discussions and starting those discussions is good as long as you're educated about what you're talking about, and you, like, know what you're doing, and you know that you're not going to, um, to I guess put someone in a position where they have to teach you something that you thought that you knew
0: okay that's good thanks for that uh clarification
1: yeah
0: um yeah that definitely like makes sense
1: yes and like I just mean like not speaking for black people right like you just don't want to like co-opt those narratives um and speak for black people and I think that like having discussions like within like groups of, like, white people is, like, productive, but I don't think that, like, if you have, like, I just think that you have to be, like, very aware of, like, the situation that you're doing it in, like, you shouldn't Mm -hmm. be, like, having, like, performative discussions where it's, like, if you have, like, a black friend that you're, like, choosing to talk about it and, like, kind of, like, care about it just because that, like, person is present. Exactly. Like, I feel like that's something you should always care about and, like, always be conscious of and, like, always have conversations whether or not there's, like, a black person, like, present to give you, like, brownie points. Right
0: you're right I agree and I feel that um also the intention of the conversation should be to learn so even if you walk into the conversation um not knowing being open to listen or being open to being corrected or being open to see yourself differently and see the world differently from a different perspective that's okay and um because we're not going to know everything and Oh, and I've talked about this on my podcast, but I don't know a lot about maybe African culture or something like that. Um, I'm not African, so I don't know what it's like to be an African person. And so the way that I can learn about being African by reading but I can or watching TV or whatever, or I can do that by going in and asking a question and posing a question. And that's not to, like you said, put the burden on someone else, but that's to be a better listener or to... Um, be open to correction or things like that and so I think that um, also to address like the point about people being afraid to kind of engage because they don't they're because it's coming from a place of fear um, as long as you are having an open heart and being willing to interrogate yourself it's okay like there's no reason to be afraid of how you'll be viewed because it's genuine right Right. you don't have you're not caught up in how other people see you showing up in the space
1: and and being like defensive to your views I feel like that's where like a lot of these problems come in is that like people who um are afraid to be like corrected right are are because they are defensive of how they think and how like they feel about things and I feel like that's because it's like almost like tied to their personal identity in a way where it's like how like because it's like how it's their framework for life it's how they operate in life normally so they almost feel defensive for that so I think that people who genuinely like don't know and if you're if you're in a space where these discussions are happening then like take advantage of that space and and be vulnerable and people will want to like teach you because that's like an appropriate space to do that right so like and I I keep saying like don't go to like your black friends and be like this is like what's this problem right like doing that education by yourself is important but also like if you're in a a discussion like if you're in a dialogue if you're in a situation where it's appropriate to kind of have those questions and like discuss those things and it's something that's um that's topical right a little debater joke (laughs) (laughs) then I think that that's a Perfectly appropriate thing to do and a good space to do it in, but it just you have to be very like aware of like the space and like the tone and kind of the way that you're approaching it and making sure that you're very open to like being educated and open to being corrected and open to really absorbing that information and and making it tangibly change the way that you carry and act within yourself.
0: Right, that's good, and I think that um, another thing is like these kind of things are so nuanced, like we can think a certain way um and it's all about like being open minded but also not just about being open minded like you were just talking about uh being less defensive but these things are so nuanced and so maybe not everything that we said in this conversation um can be applicable to every single situation in your life that's not the point of the conversation just like i prefaced the conversation by saying we can't speak for everyone not everything that we said makes sense in every situation it's up to your judgment um and to how you feel about how this can be applied or how not to apply it um but lily said great things um and but my last question i guess um and like before i let lily i don't know if you know this but at the end of the conversation i like to ask a kind of unrelated question but anyways i have one final question that's topical and then one that's not. Anyways, my my last question is: um, I feel that uh, speaking to a lot of Black people, they have um, they would say that they don't have faith in white people. They have no faith that white people can see themselves um, or interrogate their own implicit bias. They think that white people will always be out to get out to get them. I think that I've had a unique experience in that I've grown up around white people and I've seen how white people can be good and how they aren't like how they may be seen in society. Right. And so um, this is a question that I heard in a documentary or a podcast. And the question was, how do you create a moral sp- space inside a story you know is immoral? So you talked about earlier, Lily, about how um you know how maybe your ancestors or how white people in history have been oppressive, but it's not a fair burden for you to put white supremacy on yourself. So the question posed in a different way is, what do you say to someone who has no faith in white people? Um, how can you assure them? And that's kind of a hard thing to do, but... right. Um, what do you say to someone who thinks that white people can't change or that it's impossible for them?
1: If I'm going to be totally honest, I think that that perspective is, like, 100% justified, right? Like, historically, like, time after time, you see, like, a failure of, like, white people and, like, a white supremacist system. Like, you see the white supremacist system doing what it's supposed to do. I shouldn't say a failure of the system, but you see a white supremacist system acting in the way that it was supposed to act. Which hinders progress. It hinders movement. It hinders um, like racial consciousness. It hinders a lot of those things, and so I genuinely think that people who feel like that way are like hundred percent valid in their feelings, because in a lot of ways, like that's a genuine survival mechanism is that, like, if you are right. not allowing yourself to be comfortable around, like, your oppressor, like, that's a way that you can survive. Like, that's, that's like, justified. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, no, like, we're not that bad. Like, why people, like, you know, like you know, because, like, <laughs> to be, like, perfectly honest, like, people who want to engage these things, I think that they're, they're, they're bec- our generation is becoming a lot better about this, but I think that in general, and broader society, that's, like, the exception to the norm, right? Like, the norm right. is usually this, like, very, like, defensive, um, person who kind of is stuck in their beliefs and doesn't want to do that re-education and go through that process. Um, I think that, like, yeah, like, I, I think that that's, it's a very fair belief to have, and, uh, and so it's hard for me to be, like, that's something that, like, can, like, have people's, you know, like, worries be, like, soothed, because I think that in a lot of ways, like, there's, there have been a lot of failures, Uh, Of by like white people to like stand up and like say something and like do something to like change the system and the in the way that exists now, Um, but then at the same time, I think that with our generation, I think that it's it's a very fine line to walk because it's a survival mechanism, but at the same time, I worry that that is not going to it's not going to help like racial consciousness right? right. if people feel like excluded from it so i feel like as long as there are other discussions being had where people are like trying to engage i think that slowly but surely um there will be less and less people who are so defensive of like white supremacy and racism in in, in ways that they don't understand to be white supremacy and racism and like defensive of it in kind of um like very Subtle ways, um, but I think that like it's it's a very fair perspective to have. So I, I would never fault anyone for having that perspective, um, and I just think that that ultimately like sh- proves that the burden is on white people to prove that wrong, right? Like I don't think that it should. It's the, I don't think the burden is on black people to kind of like learn to trust white people. I think it's the burden of white people to prove that they're trustworthy and that like they can be good and make like material change um so it's not something that I want to like soothe and be like no like that's like okay like we're we're okay it's more something that I want to like prove through actions because actions will always speak louder than words I know it's such a trite but like um how you act will always have more of a concrete impact than how you than what you say.
0: yeah that's really good that's really good I think that so so then if I spun the question on you mm-hmm. and I say how do you create a moral space inside a story you know is immoral you know the history of white people in this country um and even today you know how white people um and the and the system I should say cuz when I say white people I mean the system I mean white supremacy right, so I don't course. mean you I mean white right. supremacy and I just want to make that clear also to the listeners um, but I just want to say that's yeah. like that's something that people need
1: to like have a better understanding of is that like when when like when when black people say things like that, it's not a personal. attack, right. And I would never take that as a personal attack because like, again, because I understand that history. Right. Or, like I, I, I've done the work in trying to understand the history the
0: best that I can. Exactly. So my question is, how do you for yourself create a moral um, space when you know it's immoral? you know how white supremacy is dangerous and you benefit from it. So how do you um, become a moral person that cares about social justice and who cares about Black people and people of color and what we go through? How can you do that for yourself?
1: So a big part of this was understanding the history, like you said. Um, And like my family history is also pretty terrible. Um, So like on my mom's side, there was... I don't remember how related, but I know that there are two people in my family that were like the Bonnie and Clyde, but of doing like racist, like terrible things in the South. Like they were like confederates, um, during the civil war. So they like basically like murdered black people during the civil war. Wow. Right. So like, that's like a family, like history that I like recently found out about like a few months ago. Wow. Um, and that was something that, like, I literally that we had no idea of before. So, it's kind of it's it's a very like tricky paradigm for me to kind of understand because there's a huge part that's like there. I can't get out of the system. Like, I can't just choose to not benefit from white supremacist system anymore because like I'm white and the white supremacist system and it's, like I I can't like not benefit from it. So I try to acknowledge the ways in which I benefit from it to understand my own privilege better. And that helps me understand how I can use my privilege to help. So, like, understanding and, like, reading stories and documentaries and all those things and, like, trying to empathize, even though you can't, so it's more, like, sympathizing with racism and, like, experiences of racism is important because I think that, like, everyone, pretty much everyone – understands like humanity and like empathy like what you're saying earlier and so developing those feelings of empathy is important and not just like pity or guilt but like turning those into feelings of like this is a terrible thing that these people have like that people of color have experienced in this country and it's something that I still benefit from even though I don't directly ask to so it's not it's not something I can put like on myself but it's more something that it's just like you understand um, and then with that, like instead of just kind of just having those feelings of like guilt, I, I think that looking for concrete ways to help and to be supportive is what makes things like quote unquote like moral. I don't think that like guilt should be the the motivator for that, but I just think that. I, I just, I don't know how to, like, it, you can't explain to someone that they should care about another person, right? And I, I think that's something that's kind of people just, like, that's a, it's a very human emotion. Like, it's, like, intrinsic to, like, the human existence. It's just, like, feeling for other people. And in order to feel, you have to understand on some level. So understanding, first and foremost, is, like, the biggest step. And then from there... Just being, like, supportive in what you can and, like, understanding that you benefit from systems of white supremacy and, like, acknowledging that and, like, recognizing that in your day-to-day life is important, even for, like, interventions and things like that. Because, like, you know, if you see, like, an interaction with, like, the police, right, that, like, evolution of the police and, like, a black person, just, like, the presence of a white person being there has, like, proven to, to not to, like, de-escalate situations, Right. And that's not to say that it's like your job to like be a superhero and to go help like all the black people. But it's just a saying that like there are times where you can like help. And if you understand those times and you understand the history behind situations, then that just makes you a better ally because you can do things that are actually helpful and you can like participate in ways that are actually helpful. And that are not, like, performative, and you're not doing it just so that you can, like, say you did it, but you're doing it because you understand what you're doing, and you understand how what you're doing can help. So a lot of people just do things because it, it, like, looks good, but in order to, like, have a genuine impact, you have to understand how what you're doing is helpful, and understand the, the history behind it, and understand the context, and understand the perspectives, because if you don't understand those things, then what you're doing is probably not
0: going to be very helpful that's good thank you thank you for being so uh honest real um humane (laughs) self-aware just thank you for answering the questions with honesty with poise you're so well spoken and eloquent so (laughs) um i really appreciate that and i appreciate everything you had to say so um so, I to wrap up this whole episode, um, like I said, I love to ask an unrelated question because we talk about heavy things on this podcast. Um, this, these are heavy topics; they can be a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And so, anyways, you said that you like to watch documentaries. I also yes. love documentaries. I'm always yes. finding myself on YouTube watching something cr- about crime or blah blah. blah. So what's a, a documentary maybe like the strangest documentary that you've watched um recently that like you don't know how it ended up in your youtube feed and just like what the heck so okay so
1: there's this one i want to make sure i get the name right um it's called this is, it is a really fascinating one um yeah so there's a, a documentary and it's called the toxic pigs of fukushima mm-hmm. um which is Really, it's, like, really beautifully done. Like, it's really beautifully made. Like, the soundtrack and everything is, like, beautiful. There's a vice analysis on it that I really appreciated. Um, But it goes through, so I don't know if you all are familiar with, like, the Fukushima nuclear meltdown. I'm kind of just going to assume that most people are, but basically um, there was, like, a nuclear meltdown and also, like, a tsunami, um, and it kind of, it killed a lot of people, and it it left this town, um, like, pretty radioactive, right? Right. There is a group of older um, men who, like, lived in the town, like, most of their life and, like, their, like, family there and stuff, Um, and they, the documentary follows them as they go through and they hunt the radioactive, like, pigs and they kill them and they, like, and they dispose of them. So they're basically doing, like, a governmental service because these pigs are like they're boars so they're these be- like these giant and they're, they're beautiful right because they're just like these beautiful wild animals but they're these just giant boars who are toxic to eat like you can't eat them they are um more aggressive than like natural ones um and they're like a health risk to not only like shamble like also the surrounding areas and like if if and so these men like do it because they want their town and their city like they want they want to be inhabitable again um, and so it kind of, like, goes through, like, these people who are, like, like knowingly living in high levels of, um, like, radioactive ions. I've, I'm forgetting the name, but, like, high levels of, like, radioactivity or whatever um, and, like, in nuclear waste. And they're doing a government service where they just, they kill these pigs. And, like, the reasons why they do it and, like, the stories of their family are just so beautiful and the way that it, like, connects in the documentary is just so beautifully made. Um, and it was not something that I was, like, expecting to watch because there was this, like, huge focus on, like... Because I usually watch things about, like, the disaster itself, but this was more of, like, the aftermath and, like, the people who were left behind by it and the way that they're, like, coping and, like, the optimism they have even in the face of this, like, insanely horrible act of uh, destruction. Um, so it's really beautiful.
0: Wow. That sounds really interesting, too. Yeah. Um, radioactive so- <laughs> pigs?
1: It's huh. the radioactive... Yeah, the radioactive pig... Or the toxic pigs of Fukushima. That's what it's wow. called. That's really um, interesting. Yeah, there's a Vice... You can find it on YouTube. It's like the... Um, toxic Pigs of Fukushima, the shortlist. It's on Vice News. It's... It's so... It's mm-hmm. just so fascinating.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like that's really cool. Um, I think... Also to answer the question, because I usually answer them. Yes, Um please. But I watch a lot of crime documentaries, and um, I'm not a kind of person to watch scary movies or horror movies because I get easily scared. And when it's dark, I'm like, "Who's there?" And so I probably shouldn't watch crime documentaries, but I always do. But I, I
1: love I love those types of things. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's just like wow. So, anyways. That's what I've seen. Sorry for anyone that's like that's so weird, but <laughs> I yeah. watched it. So
1: no, I love the documentaries too, like the like true crime ones, right? And, like the daily crime. Yeah, yeah.
0: Very interesting, but also for makes sure. me like I don't want to go to into criminal justice because this is so scary. But yeah, I don't exactly. know. Anyways, but yeah, thank you, uh Lily, so much for this Thanks. conversation. I really enjoyed it. You, like I said. You are um a great speaker and I love that you are really doing the work. Like we talk about what it means to do the work, but I I really enjoy um and I think that um with people like you we can get things done. And so like someone like you makes me hopeful. So and, and so I think that um I wanna have keep having conversations with you. Have fun in your last week of debate camp. So let me not keep you away from that any longer.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. This is such a great conversation. I really appreciate you talking to me.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Lily. And for um, everyone that's listening, please make sure to uh, like this video, comment, or video. Why? I watch too much YouTube. Make sure you (laughs) like this, comment, follow, whatever you need to do so that I know you are enjoying the conversations that i'm having and the people that i'm talking to uh also trigger warning lily this is really cringy my outro that i do but everyone have um a blessed day um and i hope that you enjoy and i will ttyl